Welcome to the Border Outdoors podcast. I'm Seth. We've got an interesting episode here today. Um, it is duck opener weekend. It's the second weekend of deer bowl season here in Minnesota. Um, and small games open and all kinds of stuff. So I was invited by my good friend, Joe Lindowski, who's been on the podcast before. I think last September, maybe? Yeah. Um, yeah, sometime yep. around then. Uh, he invited me out to shoot his uh, his old wood duck hole today. And so we'll get into the success we had or didn't have. And uh, we're going to try to tackle some of this knowledge the two guests have today on bird dogs and hunting out west and all kinds of good stuff. So before we get uh, t- too far along, uh, Joe, introduce yourself. Oh, Joe Landowski. Um, I think it's the third time I've been on this thing. Is it third already? I think it's yeah. third, yeah. Um, yeah. Three kids, a wife, four dogs now. Yep. Um, living in central Minnesota. Uh, speaking of which, one of your children is sitting right next to you. Let's yeah. swing the mic over to her. Young lady, what is your name? Kennedy. How old are you? Nine. What did you do this morning? I got to go dunk, duck hunting with my dad and his two friends. That's right. Did, uh, did you have fun? Yes. That's awesome. Uh, before we swing over to the next guest, Mitch, do you have a first you want to share with us since it's your first time on the podcast? Um, first day of school, first hunt with your dad, anything that you remember? Oh, um, last year we shot a deer and we had to track it down because it like, and it like had rotten stuff on it. Oh no. Had like an old flesh wound or something or what? Oh. It was opening day of muzzle or uh, shotgun season for Minnesota, and uh, we had gone out, and she was getting pretty pretty irritated with me because I was <laughs> passing a lot of deer. Um, we saw everything we saw was just little dink bucks, and she was getting mad at me and getting frustrated. So we had a little basket rack eight pointer come in, and I shot it. And I was using my muzzleloader because I hate hunting with a shotgun for deer. I, yep. can't, I can't stand it. They're not accurate for me anyways. I don't have a rifled barrel or anything. So we went out and <laughs> shot this deer. And it looked like a really good hit. We let it go. It was probably, what was it, Kennedy, right before dark? Yes. Yeah. So we let it go, lay down, went to start tracking for it, and uh, had really good blood for the first 100 yards or so. And then it kind of dried up and... I thought I heard something crashing where we were walking, and every time we'd go in there, there was a deer that would jump up and run, and I, it was too dark. I couldn't tell if it was my deer or a different deer, so we just kind of backed out. Yep. And then we went in for it the next morning, and it had been pretty warm that night, so some of the meat had spoiled, and but we still we still got quite a bit of meat off. But. Nice. Nice. Did you drag it out, Kennedy? Um, no. my We put it on the four-wheeler. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. You like hunting with your dad? Yes. What's your favorite thing to hunt for with him? Um, deer. Nice. Is your dad a good hunter? Sometimes. <laughs> what do you think he's the best at hunting? Wood duck. Wood ducks? Nice. Nice. I like it. 
Okay, it's going to be hard to follow that up, but uh, we have Mitch <laughs> over here. Mitch, please introduce yourself. My name is Mitch Decker, and I'm also from central Minnesota. known Joe and Seth quite a while now. And uh, Seth asked me to do a first. Yes. Because it's my first time on the podcast. So I think I'm going to talk about the first time I ever went out west um, to the Dakotas, upland hunting. And uh, the first time was with Joe and a friend of his that had some family friends out there with private land. So I was pretty excited before we ever left because, you know, I grew up in Minnesota hunting primarily public land. And so we went out to the Webster, South Dakota area, and it was just a really good time. Um, walked a lot of different types of terrain, um, mostly like cattail sloughs and bottoms and stuff like that. Uh, but I got to bring my pointer out there. And, uh, <laughs> she, she was not quite used to how much scent was out there. So it took <laughs> a few days for her to calm down, but just overall really great trip. And it kind of started my love for taking upland trips Yeah, and, you know, experiencing different areas of the country and what they had to offer. So. Absolutely. Was that, uh, when was that? How old were you? How many years back do you think that was? Probably 16, 17 years I old. think it was like, yeah, oh, wow. like 17. Oh man, yeah. you guys were young. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. nice. So, high school sometimes. What uh, what kind of dog did you have that time? I had a German short hair and her name was Abby and um, <clears throat> family dog. We didn't train it a whole lot. Um, we just kind of relied on our natural abilities, which yep. worked well in Minnesota when you run across three or four pheasants in your whole walk. <laughs> Uh, but out there, she she got to range him pretty good. So sure, took, sure. Took a while to rein her back. Yeah, um, but lots of good memories. You know, even even when the dog messes up, it still creates a lot of memories. So. Sure, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Do uh, you try to get out west once a year at least, or how often do you find yourself able to get out there? At least once a year, sometimes twice. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have a really good friend that goes out every year to South Dakota. So they have private land they hunt every year. Okay. And I get to tag along sometimes. So that one's pretty easy. And then Joe and I always plan a trip somewhere. So. Sure. So, um, you know, speaking, speaking of which you guys were younger, you first became buddies. Um, you guys used to do quite a bit more waterfowl hunting, right? Oh yeah. And, and didn't you both guide, did you guide for the same company or, or, Okay, let's we talk did. a little bit about that, Mitch. When, what, how old were you when you got into that for the guiding portion? And I was probably that? a freshman in college. Oh, okay. And um, there was a guy in Western Minnesota around the Lacoparle area that was starting his own service. Yep. And we were at the game fair actually, and we were just blowing calls, like we were testing out different vendors' calls sure. to see what we liked and whatnot. And uh, the guy who started this service heard my friend and I calling yep and he walked up to us and was like do you guys hunt waterfall a lot and we we're like yeah you mm -hmm. know and so he's like well would you be interested in guiding and it's always kind of been a bucket list thing for me when i was a kid absolutely growing up, every know? kid wants to do that right? yeah you know, i'm gonna be a guy yeah it sounds like <laughs> the best thing ever right right yeah, yeah it does um, <laughs> and so we jumped on the opportunity and so we were some of the first guys that he had out there and um, just kind of tried to expand what he was doing sure it Absolutely. Was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. What um I guess what are what are what are some of the strategies you're taking as a guide versus hunting just for your own small group of guys? And then like you said, everybody wants to be a guide, but like what are some of the negatives that people just don't realize goes into to doing that kind of work? Sure. Well, I, I think what I would say is 
when you're out with your buddies, the success isn't always the most important thing. Right. But when you're taking out a client who's maybe only going out once this year, is paying some decent money to, to get out, you really care more about the success. Sure. And you feel worse when you don't succeed. Yep. Um, because every every day for a client, you're trying to find the best feed, um, the most opportune spot for them to capitalize and have success. And so it, it was tough on the days where, you know, the, the kids were out with dad and, and the birds were flying over your head and you couldn't oh, get them yeah. to commit. Uh, so I'd say that's maybe the one thing that people don't always think about when you're thinking about guiding. Yeah, sure. You, you can find the best feed and you can find the best hide and they just don't fly. Right. You know, weather weather is huge. You know, you got a no wind day and sunny bluebird day and birds don't want to get up and move during the day. They're only feeding right away in the morning, right away at night. And yep. They're just not coming as far to you. So, right. you know, and you hate letting people down. It's, it's, yeah, I could I could see that being pretty stressful. Yeah. You know, and some clients are probably pretty cool about it because they might have an understanding, hey, out of our control, right? But I'm sure you got the guys who are like, I gave you 400 bucks for today and I expected my, all my birds, you know, oh, yeah. so. Definitely. Huh? Did you ever have people come out that, I mean, like, I'm sure you did. How many times did you get on the right spot and you just had clients that didn't know how to shoot? A lot. Like, <laughs> I can only a imagine. Because like, if it's a guy going out his one time a year and he hasn't even taken the shotgun out of the case since last year. Well, and then you're shooting laying on the ground. Oh, yeah. You know, you're, you're hunting in a field out of layout blinds and guys that have never done it before and they've never practiced that angle or anything and they're just <laughs> having a hard time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, how many years did you do it? A couple seasons or longer than that? I think I did it about five years. Oh, wow. I yeah, mean, you were longer than that because I was like five years. I no. did it I did it all throughout college for sure. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, because I started like two seasons after you did or a season after. Because mm-hmm. I think the first hunt we all went out on together was out in Lack on that at the silage field. Yep. Standing nice. in the standing corner. Yep. Did you uh, Did you guys ever venture out to the western states at all with the with this, this guy or did you stay mostly Minnesota? I did, I did one, well, only one trip for me for uh, spring snows in South Dakota, and then I did, I think, two trips to South Dakota in the fall for ducks and geese. Nice. Cornfields. Nice. And see, when, when I started, he was still relatively small. Yep. So they weren't even venturing into South Dakota or Kansas or anything like that that they do now. Okay. Um. And so I think I caught one duck, duck trip at the end out to South Dakota. That was actually really good. It was one of the first years we did it. Yeah. And um, I also did snows one year with him. Ooh, snows, yeah. man. I've never done yeah, it. That's, that's a grind to guide. That's, yeah. that's too much for me. I, I, don't, <laughs> I, could, I could not do that year after year. It, it seems like it'd be so fun if you hit it right, but it seems like the, it just seems like almost like musky fishing to me, like out of 10,000 sets and and miles, oh, you'll, you'll like, hit it. Guys, watch those old Tony Vandemore videos where they're shooting like 150 a day. <laughs> oh yeah, and they're getting themselves all psyched up, and they're coming out. And they're like, "Oh, we're gonna, we're just gonna slaughter them." And you know, the average isn't that high, right? You gotta, you right. gotta think about where those guys are hunting. They're hunting Arkansas, Missouri, where the geese—that's where they are wintering, and they're not migrating back north yet. They're just going from field to field and eating out a field, moving to another field, eating out that field because they're not moving back north yet. Right. So it's easier to get on big numbers like that. But then when you're hit, hitting the migration, you know, every day is different. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they may push 150 miles one day and they may only go five miles the next day. Right. They hit that snow line, they'll hop back south. Sure. And isn't isn't a giant factor what birds you're getting, whether it's the juveniles or the adult birds are just way smarter and stuff like that too. Yeah, big time. Yeah. You know, unless you got really good weather, 
uh, the adult ones are pretty tough to kill. Yeah. Okay. And I'd say one of the biggest mistakes we made in the early years is we were young and dumb and we would just chase feeds. So yeah. we'd set up 1500 decoys at 3 a.m., <clears throat> get the clients out there, hunt the field. If it was good, bad, or otherwise, we'd clean it up and we'd go chase another feed. Okay. And it was like you were burning it at both ends of the candle, uh, barely sleeping. Yep, a lot of, a lot and of sometimes, the... you know, a feed yesterday that was really good, they're all gone the next yep. day because they're migrating through. Sure. Yep. sure. Yeah, a, lot, a lot of the big time guys out there now, you know, they'll, they have certain areas that are great migration viewpoints. Yep. And they'll set up on those spreads and it's just a migration spread. And they'll catch those geese flying through that area, you know, at a certain time of the day. And, you know, they'll decide, well, let's put the feed bag on and sure. head down here. Right place, right time. Mm-hmm. And we just always thought the success would be worse. And it really isn't. You know, we learned pretty quick that you can chase a feed and get into a place that had 10,000 snows in it and maybe shoot, you know, a couple the next day. Oh, really? So, okay. Yeah, it's just hitting. It's so much more hit and miss because they're not roosting in the same spot like Joe was saying. Down in Missouri, they're roosting on one of three reservoirs or whatever they are down there. Right. We're up here, you know, they're hitting potholes and sleeping on them for a night, and then getting up and flying another hundred miles. Or sleeping on sheet water out in a field. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Sure. Sure. That's the other thing with the whole spring goose. Like, it's spring weather, so it's got to just be mud everywhere. that, That first time we ever went out, we went to North Dakota, and just for a fun hunt. We got out there and it dumped like eight inches of snow that night on us after we had already found a feed and everything we wanted to set up on. And we got out there and there's eight inches of snow in the field and we couldn't drive the trucks out there. We had a four-wheeler pulling a 12-foot enclosed trailer. We got that fucker stuck like three times, pushing <laughs> eight guys pushing the trailer and the four-wheeler out. But I mean, we wrecked them that day because yeah. it was foggy and snowy. Okay. And yeah. they just, they came out of the fog out of nowhere they had no choice. They couldn't inspect you first. They're just no. there. And they so. they were all. I mean, there was a few thousand birds in this two section area sitting on this water, and they'd hop right from the water into the field that we were in. And we didn't leave that area for three days in a row. Oh, and just shot awesome. shot into them every single day. That's so fun. And so then the fun. snow melted, and everything was gone. Jeez, how how many days a year do you think you'd hunt when you were guiding? Too many. <laughs> too many. Sixty. Like, wow. I mean, between between early Canada season all the way through late season. Yep. Yeah. Probably. And it and that's I was running Thursday through Sunday every every week. And that's just hunting. That's not even scouting. Getting ready. Right. Sure. You're scouting every single day. Yeah, and I suppose in August you're doing nothing but prepping decoys and trailers and all that kind of stuff. Making sure your blinds are good to go. Sure. Sure. Man. Locking down leases or anything you need for that. That was the other thing I was gonna ask. So yeah, I mean I, the longer companies around, they probably get more relationships with landowners. But like when you got into it, starting up, were you like knocking on doors all the time? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> even even at the end, we were still knocking on doors any, before I left. Really? Any favorite stories? Any any just really great encounters? Any terrible like bad ones? Well, I remember when we first started going out there. The owner of this service didn't know you could hunt alfalfa fields, so we were driving around trying to get every silage field in the area. Yep. And uh, we weren't having a whole lot of luck. Um, And we saw some geese flying over this alfalfa field. And we're like, hey, we should knock on this guy's door and see if it'll let us. Because they're coming right off a big stone refuge and flying right over this on their way to the corn. He's like, oh, why would you hunt out in grass? You know, what are you (laughs) doing? We're like, all right, you keep knocking for corn and we'll go and talk to this guy. And he was this older gentleman, single. I don't know if he was a widower or what. But he was really nice, and he's like, oh, you guys want to go out into my alfalfa field? 
shoot geese? And we're like, yep. So he let us in there, and we ended up shooting 41 the first morning. Oh. And uh, I think 15 the second. Holy smokes. <laughs> and the best part about it was after that, the, the owner of the service, all he wanted to do was go search for Elfel. <laughs> that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's why I hired you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we were avid. We we did it a lot when we were younger. So, oh man. So, I mean, there's so many avenues to, like you said, there's so many factors that create a successful hunt, right? But in your experience, are guys messing up more by by not concealing or bad calling? I'd say it's a mixture of both. Sure. I mean, can you overcome the other by being better with one? I'd oh, say your hide, your hide I think, the would be the most important. Because, sure. yeah. I mean, you could be the best caller in the world, and if your hide sucks, they're not coming. Sure. Depen- you- depending on the year and if you got new yep. birds or stale birds. You guys were talking earlier, so you used a lot of layout blinds. Yep. And there was scenarios where you'd dig them in just to get even lower. Yep. And was that just because the older, the first models sat so high? Or, like, even with some of the lower profiles? I, well, I think it was, helps. like, just the time, just the timing, you know, because... You know, back in the day, you were sitting in fence lines and pass shooting, and then they came out with, like, the hay bale blinds, and that was the thing for a while. And then right. it was the goose chair, and then layout blinds came out, and it was the craze for, I don't know, a decade, you know? Right. And right. geese just get used to seeing the same thing over and over and over again, so you got to constantly think of a new way to make a make yourself invisible. Sure. And now, you know, they're back out to A-frame, so that stick out like a sore thumb, but they just eat it up. Yep. Um, we were talking bands earlier today while in the duck blind this morning. And so another thing people maybe don't realize with guided hunts, you you might have a group of eight to 10 people, right? Mm -hmm. All in a line. Everybody's shooting at the center flock of the birds or whatever. You drop a banded bird. Nobody truly knows who got it. So what's the procedure for determining who gets that band? Sure. So one of the biggest conflicts guides have is whether to shoot or not. Most of the time, we don't want to shoot for our clients, right? We want them to have the full experience. Sometimes they ask us to shoot because their proficiency isn't so good. (laughs) Sure. Uh, But, you know, usually the guide will take themselves out of the band drawing. If you're a respectable guide, you know, if if a bird goes down and somebody's paying you to be out there, you just kind of take yourself out of the mix of who might get that band. Um, But then our favorite way to do it is just to get a bunch of shells together and have every shell be the same color other than one. Oh, okay. Put them in a hat. Everybody stand in a line, draw them out. And whoever gets the off colored shell wins the band. Nice. It's kind of a fun way to end a hunt when you have a band too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm sure you guys have been screwed over out of a band or two with that process. (laughs) (laughs) There's a few. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, what about, uh, you know, so like as far as costs go, right, you guys probably had a, a decent idea of what other guys were charging per day. And like, does it tend to be the same price, whether it's a goose hunter, or a duck hunter, or big fluctuations? It all depends on if like there's lodging included. Oh, sure. Um, you know, some of the smaller operations don't have lodging. You know, guys will have to stay at a hotel. Yep. Or... You know, if they get like a VRBO or something. Sure. You know, the bigger operations tend to have like a lodge or housing available. Yep. So that really kind of keys into how much it's going to cost you. But mm-hmm. like for a day trip, they're all pretty similar. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't, if you're not spending the night, like the the outfitter that we work for, we did some hunts here in the West Metro and a lot of the guys that were coming were just from the cities. So okay. it was a short drive out in the morning. 
you know, they'd hunt for half a day and then they'd go to work. Okay. Seemed like you would see guys in certain areas that felt that they had higher success rates, maybe. You know, like Fergus and Rochester. Yep. They they tended to charge a premium. It sure. Like. I think a lot of that just comes with the name of the town, too. It's, the it's not, the not the so much the, the, the success, service. but yep. sure. People just know they're in that flyaway. Yep. And, yeah, you've been right. around long enough and enough people want to come out with you. There's high enough demand to say, well... We're going to charge a little bit of a premium if you want right. to come out with us. It'd be funny if you sign up for the guy in Rochester and then he drives you two hours over to Sleepy Eye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess one last thing on the, on the guiding for anybody that pays a guy to go out. I mean, every every place is probably a little different, but what about tipping, right? So, like, you as a guide, what, what were you hoping for as a tip on a successful hunt, you know? Or did you just yeah, never I- expect one, you know? I don't know that I ever really expected one. I mean, we put in, guides put in a lot of work. Right. It, it might not seem like it when you show up and everything's set up and you just get to jump in and hunt. Um, but the scouting, you know, it's a lot of fuel. Gas prices aren't getting any better. Oh, no. And, uh, you know, just the hours that go into it, you got to get up early, get everything set, and then you got to do all the teardown and do it all over again to find the next spot. So just, just with that in mind, I would say if, if they get you on birds and, and you have a good time with them, you know, like they're a fun guy to be around and they're personable and stuff like that. Something in the neighborhood of 10% of what you paid for the total group to be there. Yep. I, I would think that's yeah. completely well, reasonable. Like, yep. One of my favorite tips wasn't even money. We were out the one year I went out and did a snow goose hunt, a snow goose trip and guided out there. One of the clients, I mean, we had a great group of guys. They were, and we, I think we had like eight or nine guys for the week I was out there and it was two different groups that we put together because, you know, they only had like three or four guys sure. on their own. And I think there was one single. But at the end of the trip, you know, you spend five, six days with a group of guys. You know, you get to know them pretty well and you tell a lot of family stories and hunting stories. And and at the end of the trip, this one gentleman came up to me and he gave me one of those uh, Schrade skinning knives, uh, skinning oh, knives for yeah. deer hunting. He's like... I figure this is better than cash. I'm like, oh, dude, that's the best kind of gift. Absolutely. You know, I, I don't, I don't need money. You know, I, I'm not expecting that, but I still use that knife. Absolutely, they're not cheap knives no. either. So that's sweet. I wasn't involved in the hunt, but you, didn't you guys also have somebody bring up like a big Cajun crawfish boil? That was that was the South Dakota trip in the fall. We had some guys come out from from New Jersey. A group of guys come out from New Jersey. There's like four or five of them, and I still talk to a couple of them. Um, but yeah, they're all. Two of two or three of them were commercial fishermen on the East Coast, so they brought out yellowtail. Um, we did um, shrimp, lobster claws. Oh, um, God, some other kind of fish. So that we were doing seafood like every single night. We <laughs> ate supper with them. We were staying in the same lodge that we had rented out out there, and those guys were a freaking blast. Yeah, that's awesome. So if you're a client and you have something unique like that that you can bring to the table, it just makes the experience that much more fun and unique you know? absolutely oh, yeah. yeah i just i think so many people including myself would just you know you, you go out there in a late october hunt with some guides and hope to get into birds you forget you guys have already put in how many days of this stuff you know what i mean like uh i just until you put in that kind of time i don't think people know the mental grind you you guys would be putting on as guides so yeah. and interesting. i mean guides are just normal people that have you know set aside their their fall season or spring season right chasing something they love to chase and the fact that like people can dedicate their whole hunting season to taking somebody else out says a lot that says a lot i mean like 
but whether whether money's involved or not. You I'm, know? Gu- I'm guessing you guys still had other full time jobs you did. Oh god, yeah. You know what I mean? So like you're using your PTO or whatever time off to do those things yep. as well. Yeah, because our our South Dakota fall trips, those were ten day trips. You know, you, sure. you get a ten day season. I took all ten days off of work and went out there. Whether we were hunting that ten days or not, we were still out there scouting and checking shit out and trying to get down on some fields. Yep. Um two more quick questions. Did you ever have a client cancel? So you didn't have anybody to take that day, so you just went out yourself? Oh yeah. Oh yeah? Uh, really? We, we had a hunt right north of right north of Buffalo one year. It was storming that morning and we were supposed to have I think eight guys. Yep. And we ended up with three. Oh. And we slaughtered them. Nice. <laughs> it was me and Adam and Mike. I don't know if you were there or not, Mitch. I don't think I was. It was me and Adam and Mike and uh what what was that guy's name that they had all the time? With Seth. Seth. Yeah. Not, oh no, not yeah, you, Seth, not me. but a different Seth. <laughs> it can't be good though. So with this that name this like guy that. paid like at the beginning of the year, gave just like a couple grand and said, "Here you go," and he would just come out whenever he could. Oh no way! And they would just take him out wherever they were going, and so it was him and a buddy and a kid, or him and two kids and a buddy, and we shot like. 26 geese that morning awesome in this tiny little wheat field awesome. after the rain had moved through and everything yep and you know it was it wasn't hard at all sure and there was like four or five other guys that just completely missed out because it was wet <laughs> <laughs> nice then the other question i had is okay you got a group of eight guys you're out in the middle of south dakota flat fields as far as you can see whatever what what do you do when you gotta go to the bathroom like a, a like the coffee and donuts kick in and it's like a five alarm fire coming well, preferably don't walk out in front and turn <laughs> towards us. Go downwind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to get creative. That's for sure. I but can only like imagine. Even don't, South Dakota, don't drink too much coffee. Even <laughs> South Dakota has hills and everything you can get behind. Okay, sure. Did you ever? Uh, did you ever miss a good good flock that came in because you were doing something? <laughs> uh, more so chasing cripples. Chasing cripples. Uh, yeah. Sure. Sure. Yep. Yeah, that's so. There's something for you that you don't always think about about guides, but every down bird, if you don't have a dog, you're the one going. Well, even if it. you do have a dog, sometimes I suppose know? if you get multiple birds down, if you waylay into a good flock and you've got double digits birds down, the dog's so. out picking up a couple, and you're you marked a sailor way the hell out there, and you don't know if your dog's if you can send your dog that far, or line your dog that far. Somebody's got to get it. Oh, oh my gosh! I've been a quarter section away watching geese work into my spread for the clients. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh man, sounds fun. Yeah. Sounds fun. So you did all that for quite a few years. Lived the grind. Learned a lot. I bet you guys. You guys pretty much as a pair have kind of shifted over to all upland game for the most part now, right? For the most part, we do. You know, I'll do two three duck hunts a year now sure i'm and it's not so much just because i want to go kill some ducks it's just you know reminiscing with old friends like yesterday and this morning even right we're all getting on like one good goose shoot a year right so speaking of which yesterday was duck opener yes it was how how did that go for you guys i had a blast so did i yeah (laughs) it was was a great oh yeah we had great success (laughs) we end up with like 15 or so Yep, in one honker. ducks in a honker. Yep. They were all mallards and pintails. We had a, awesome. We had a twelve-year-old out, so there was a couple sailors that made their way out to the other edge. So we probably shot twenty ducks. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds like a fun morning. It was a good morning. Bugs were bad. We had we had a buddy out there with a broken leg. What really? Yeah, crutched his way out to the edge of the cattails. He only fell like four times. <laughs> well, that's not bad. Did he wrap it up good? Or so he had it wrapped up in a trash bag, and then he brought like <laughs> a like a studio chair out there to sit yep. on. 
But yeah, he, he started out, he put like one gallon water jugs on the end of his crutches mm-hmm. so they wouldn't disappear into the muck. Yep. And he made it all the way out there. But then when we got to where we were going to get set up, it was a little softer. Uh, so he lost one jug right away. Oh, no. But, you know, he was fine the whole hunt because he just sat up in his chair. Sure. And the cattails were tall enough so where it didn't really matter. But then on the way out, he made the mistake of just ripping off the other jug right away. Oh. And, yeah, it was only was it like a 50-yard stretch of cattails to get out of. And I think that took him like five to ten minutes. <laughs> he had a rough go. Oh right man! Back. Hey, whatever. He, he was got way, out there. He was way more dedicated than I was. He got out there. Man, if that so. was me, I'd have been sleeping. Absolutely. On um, the pond we hunted is one that we've had for a long time. My grandfather farms and has always been nice enough to purchase land that has a little duck slough on it for me. So uh, we've had this probably fifteen years now, or something like that. And uh, it goes through fluctuations, right? Like some years it's really high, some years it's really low, but this yeah. year the water was perfect. Well, it's got a drain tile coming into it. It's oh. a, It's got a county ditch system that flows into this pond, and it the tile got wrecked a couple times. So the water was rising, and it was some years it was way too tall. You couldn't get into it without a boat. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of a good nostalgia hunt. It was like when we first got it, and it was really good. Absolutely. Yeah. And you got into good shooting and just made it all the better, you know? Yeah. That's sweet, jo- man. Joey told us we wouldn't see a pintail. Yep. And then we ended up shooting four of them. <laughs> I was reading off the, the bag limits for the day because, you know, I with as much duck hunting as I do now, I, I'm not really on top of what, what numbers or what now, how many yep. woodies and shit you can shoot. So I was checking them in the morning when we were sitting there waiting for first light. And I was like, oh, well, shit, we can shoot four mallards and two of them can be hens. We can shoot three wood ducks. You can shoot one pintail. I'm like, we're not going to see any fucking pintails. <laughs> and fuck, we probably saw just as many pintails as anything else. That's unbelievable. Oh, I, it was nuts. I, I think I've only seen a couple shot around here in early, like, opener weekend over all my years. Like, just don't see that many that early. I love them. They're dumb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're great decoyers. I've, uh, yeah. So I'm going out to North Dakota for the first time ever in late October with a group of guys. And it sounds like, they, in, like, field hunting. Like, oh. it's stupid how they'll come in oh, out there. Yeah. I mean, that first trip that we did to South Dakota, it was you, me, and Mikey, and then Graham and Adam and them went, came out separately, and the pintails just drop in out of nowhere and just hover. Uh. You know, they don't even circle. They just commit right away, whereas, the you know, mallards will circle a few times before their feet down, but pintails just bomb right in. I yeah. love that. It's so fun, man. I love duck. I love duck hunting. It's, like, what I started doing, so it's... There's too many other hobbies. I don't hit it as hard as I used to, but man, is it the idea of a pintail coming in back when I was 15, like I could cry if I shot a nice pintail, like I'd be so excited. Uh, speak kind of along those lines. Have you guys ever had taxidermy work done? I've got a wood duck. Okay. Um, um, I don't know. I don't, I'm, I don't really like to spend the money on that kind of thing. Sure. Fair enough. I mean, I, I like good taxidermy just as much as the next guy but yep. i've never really been into like having a whole bunch of mounts around yeah this is gonna sound really snobby but i always used to think that i would just shoot a better one you know <laughs> yeah. sure like sure. I, we were killing a lot of waterfall every year both ducks and geese and it was like even when you got better. a really nice widgeon or a really nice mallard or something it was always just kind of in the back of your head like i'll probably shoot one better absolutely sure you get one mounted so, and then you so now, the now yeah. i look back and i'm like man there's probably a couple canvas backs or something <laughs> yeah. that i oh, wish yeah. i would have done yeah. <laughs> oh yeah just it's a fun way to preserve a memory you for know sure. for the guys that do it i totally understand why they do it and they get it done right away when they get the nice one that they 
that they, they think is going to be the right. one for their life, you know? Yep. So. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so this morning we went out, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast. What a morning. Oh, what, what a, a morning. morning. So just a little backstory on this little pond of Joe's here. Like you said, you've been doing less and less of this. Usually you're out grouse hunting today with yeah. your pointers and stuff. So in the past few years, Joe's told me, hey, if you want to come out and shoot that little pond, it's full of wood ducks on opening morning. So in past years, I've come out and just I shot my three, including a banded one a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I'm out of there by, by 7.15. You know what I mean? Uh, even the second day, it maybe takes a little longer, but you shoot plenty of birds. So Mitch, Joe, and I headed down to the wood duck pond this morning, second day of season. You haven't hunted it yet, right? No, I I went down there on Friday to check the water level, and there was there was a few woodies sitting on it. Okay, tell us about the first bird we shot, Kennedy. Um, how many ducks? Did, how many ducks did we shoot? Nothing. What do you mean by nothing? Like zero? Zero. How many times did we shoot at ducks, though? Zero. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we saw like a couple geese in the air. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was. It was a dead morning. It, it was awesome. It was a pretty dead morning. A beautiful morning, but yeah, it was. Uh, Joe's got an elk farm, like what quarter mile, half mile from yeah, here. It's probably half mile, but as yeah. a crow flies. So at least we got to hear elk bugle all and, morning and red <laughs> red stags roaring. Oh, is that what that was? Yeah. Oh, I thought uh, he had some kind of weird steers or something. No, he's got oh. he's got about even numbers red stag to elk. No way. Yep. I did not know that's what that was. I yep. thought it was some sick bull nope. all love crazed or something. Nope, they just roar. Wow. That's crazy, man. I've never seen this pond not have a duck in it. Me either. Like, ever. No, and typically, like, now when I usually do hunt it, it's not until around pheasant opener when the woodies are really coming through. And I just let it stack up and I'll bring a few buddies down. And, I mean, you go down there right before shooting time and there's... 100, 200 woodies just bombing in out of everywhere. Right. You watch them circle, watch them land. They get up, they make another circle, they land again. Yeah. And you just sit and pick drakes. But this morning was just freaking dead. Yeah. Last yeah. year, I think when I hunted it, I was just taking Snapchats, five minutes to shooting time, 50 woodies just landing and flying, land, like a revolving door. Yep. Yep. Slow, slow morning. Yep. We didn't even get a random splash and, no, and peel out, you know? No. It was crazy. We, I think we saw, I think there was four woodies that flew over. That I saw, and then that one little group of teal that just buzzed right over the treetops and never made a circle or nothing. Right. Wait, oh, man. It's you know why? Off. Them guys that are volunteering for Ducks Unlimited are not doing their job. There's not nearly enough birds around. Them suckers. <laughs> <laughs> we got to manage it, buddy. <laughs> uh, oh, well, that's how it goes. Yeah. Like we said, that was fun. It was still so much fun to get out. And well, any, anytime you can get together and just bullshit with buddies for a morning. On a nice morning. You know, it wasn't right. raining or anything, so it was nice. Hold on. We got to cover this. So Mitch was a little late this morning. You know, he still made it on time, just not as early as he intended. Mitch, what what happened this morning? <laughs> well, I got up a little too early and uh, sat down on the couch, was looking at through some YouTube, leaned my head back, and the next thing I woke, next thing I knew, I woke up at 5.30, so... <laughs> I had to had to hit the gas pretty quick. Yeah, we were <laughs> naked here. He was going to bring his dog today, and we were going to work around some pigeons afterwards. And he's like, I don't know if I should go get her. I might be too late after that. I'm like, eh, it's up to you. Yeah, we can't shoot till 6.30 anyway. So, but nah, L- Little did you know, you probably could have taken your sweet time this morning. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. So, not the only thing open this season is deer archery. 
small game. Joe, where were you last weekend? I was out in, I'm just going to say I was out west. Fair enough. I'm not going to hotspot anything. But yeah, we were out west chasing sharptails and huns. Awesome. Any success? Lots of success. Nice. You know, uh, we left Friday morning, got out there mm, late afternoon on Friday, actually got some time in the runs. We ran every single dog we took. Six adult dogs with us and two puppies. Oh, geez. You had that many dogs? Yep. Yep. We had, uh, they were all setters except for Ruby, my wire hair. We ran, we ran two dogs at a time that first afternoon. We hunted three spots, got every dog into birds. Awesome. Shot, we shot some huns that night and some sharp tails. And then the next day we went out, we still ran dogs in pairs. Um, I was trying to keep my my main setter steady through the fall just for because you know I, it's field trial season right now and this year I didn't do much for side jobs or anything so I don't have the whole lot of extra cash for trial season so you know if I was gonna run any it would have been like maybe one or two out of the five for this fall yep and so I was trying to hunt with him and keep him broke the whole time and you know it's it's a chore sure so those first couple days, that's that was my main focus, and then after that, we I finally did a bunch of shooting. There were about we had four or five cubbies that I didn't even pull a trigger on or pull a gun up on because I was just focusing on the dog at the time. Really, yeah, nice. But you know, it was it was a good trip. The wind really screwed us the first few days. We didn't have any wind in the morning, zero wind. Nice, cool mornings, but um, dogs ran through some cubbies early. And then once the wind started picking up by Sunday, it was either Sunday or Monday, it was like almost 90. Wow. So, but we, we had a good wind that day. So we still hunted till like noon. And then I think Tuesday was probably our best weather day. We hunted all day long. Um, by that point in the trip with how much ground the dogs have been covering, you know, we dropped down to one dog per spot just to kind of save legs on them. Sure. I think, you know, with a GPS tracker tracking dogs and their the distance they covered sam himself put on over 60 miles what in five times on the just being on the ground five times and he and he holds up fine with that yeah his feet were still good but so i've been when i've been roading this year i've been roading on the gravel road that i live on trying to toughen up his pads a little bit so his his feet still looked really good his nails were good um he lost a few pounds you know just from running that much sure but you know after a day of being home, he's back to his normal self, ready to go. Sure. Well, how how do you, on a trip like that, when they're putting on that many miles, I mean, like, are you a big believer in feeding pre-hunt, more importantly? So, so at home, like now when, when we're home, I feed morning and night, but on trips like that, I typically only feed once a day. Okay. Just because if, if I know that I'm going to be running them, I don't like to feed them right beforehand. Right. You want to give them a couple hours to let it digest, otherwise they're just going to get sick and shit it all out. Okay. So when when I'm on a trip like that, it's typically once a day and it's at the end of the day, but I'll just feed them like double or more sure. than what I typically would just okay. to keep the calorie intake going. Yep. And you'll feed them that, if you fed them double, would you do it at once or like? Yeah. Wait? Okay. Yep. I and like that, to mix in wet food with mine because oh. she, doesn't, she doesn't want to eat as much when she runs a lot. You know, so if there's guys out there that don't have dogs that want to eat so well when they're yep. exercising a lot, yep. I've found that you get a can of wet food and mix it in with your dry food, and oh, she, she goes to town yeah. on that. I mean, like, nice. the, the wet food doesn't have much for a nutritional value. It's just more of just an enticer to get them to want to eat more. Yep. Sure. 
but like I, I've been lucky as like where I've never had a dog that doesn't eat on a trip. My okay. dog, my dogs eat no matter what. Sure. And they, they've never had an issue with that. And I know Mitch has had a dog or two that, you know, they get picky on the road. They don't want to eat. Right. Mitch, didn't your dog, how can I put this nicely? Doesn't your dog try to eat skunks all the time or something? Like, <laughs> <laughs> last fall anyways? Yeah. She's not supposed to be a fur dog, but, uh. <laughs> Well, tell everybody what you have first. What are, what are you running now? I'm running a red setter. Her name's Rory. Um, she's two and a half now. No, no, she's old. She's three for sure. Yeah, she's three, coming three coming four because she's only a couple months younger than three Sarah. and a half. Joe's oh, right. Yeah. Um, he would be right. But yeah, early dogs. in the year we went up and we we drew for prairie chicken. This was last fall. Yep, yep. yep. last fall. And. Um, that was a lot of fun, actually. I would recommend people putting in for that. Yeah, Minnesota prairie chicken. Correct. Yeah, nice. yeah. I mean, it's not going to be the most active hunts you've had, but it's just different country than you'd hunt otherwise. Like nobody really goes up there to bird hunt in the areas that are open for prairie chicken. Right. Yeah. It's just a little different country. Um, but the first walk we did, she went down into a culvert, and Joe and I were a ways away, and I thought maybe she was on point or something, so we kind of started to turn that way. Well, here she comes running back, and she ran past me at a pretty good clip, and I caught a whiff, and I was oh. like, oh. I was like, I think she got a skunk, Joe. <laughs> and then he smells it, and she, he's like, yep, she's riding in the back for sure. Oh. So we finished that out, and we went to town, and we were trying to find something to kill the smell, and we were Googling, you know, what, yeah. what kind of mixture kills the smell. So we... Picked up some stuff, sprayed it on her. Do you remember what the mixture was you tried? The first stuff we bought was just some stuff in a can, and I can't remember that, the brand of it, but really I would much. not recommend no. it. Okay. I think the mixture we ended up with was like peroxide, ba- baking soda, and maybe some Dawn dish soap or something. Yep, okay. that's what it was. I can't remember if it was like equal parts or whatever, but that really did it. That did a good job. That nice. did a good job, and the, the reason we needed to buy that is because the next walk we went on... Yeah, the she, same day. The same, same day. Same day? Same day. We, that first walk was at first light in the morning. And the one he's going to tell you about was our last walk of that day. Yeah, and we actually saw prairie chickens, so we were trying to track them down. Like, we had seen them flying, and we thought we could tell back where they went. So we let the dogs out, and we were after them. Well, Rory goes on point, and I'm like, okay, here we go. go. In a brush pile. (laughs) (laughs) And she was right on top of this thing, and it sprayed her right in the mouth. And I was walking up like it was a point, you right. know? So I'm three feet away and I, I see it. Oh. Like I, I see it all go down and I'm like trying to grab her out from killing this thing and getting sprayed again. So my whole arm, I had Joe's sweatshirt yeah. on. He, was, he borrowed one of my sweatshirts because no. he didn't have any orange or anything. So he's like, I think I need to borrow a sweatshirt. So he grabbed one of my favorite ones. <laughs> my whole arm and she got it right in the mouth. So both of us, like I, I quit right there because it was bad. I mean, it hit her yeah. directly, and I was like, I got to get back to the truck. Oh. The whole way back, both me and the dog are puking. Oh, <laughs> it was it was pretty freaking oh. strong. It was real strong. Like you know, you catch a whiff driving down the road, and it's like, oh, I don't mind the smell at a distance. Right, it almost smells like an onion or something. Sure, yeah. but when you're super close and it's in your throat, in your nose, your eyes are watering, you can't catch your breath, and you're just on the verge of gagging the entire time. 
you know, times. we've ran into porcupines before, but it's like, I think a skunk's worse. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Sure. I mean, it depends Por- on how bad your dog gets quilled, yeah, but a, at least you can deal with that. Yeah, right? you know, you can either pull them out yourself or it's a vet trip and it costs some money. But, yeah, for a skunk, it's just like, oh, man, you're never going to erase that thought. Right, right. Like you said, you couldn't even, like, continue with the hunt. Like, no. Like, oh, we're done. And that mixture worked pretty good, but you could smell it for well, weeks. And the, the big problem is, is like it gets on their collar. Yep. And then you, if you, you got to sit and scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub the collar. Like we had a trip last fall too. Uh, we were up by Thief and my buddy AJ had a dog, had a young dog and uh, he got skunked. Ooh. Yeah. And that thing was like coming after him. Really? Yeah. Like the dog kept going back for more, like trying to catch this thing. <laughs> and the thing was like, you know how... Like when they get aggressive, they stomp their front feet down on the ground. Yeah, this thing was like, yeah, this thing was like coming at the dog, <laughs> and his his dad's like, "Get this fucking dog out of here! Oh my god, he's gonna get skunked again!" <laughs> and then you know, in the distance, you hear, oh, "God damn it, he got it again!" <laughs> so his dad shot the skunk, and we pulled the dog out of there. God, you know, we put him in an eight hole dog topper. Well, the whole fucking topper the whole just stinks, stinks after that. Oh my god, ah. you could. I think he's the one collar that the dog was wearing. You can still smell it on. A year later oh <laughs> that's so gross you know what you guys need to do if, if you hunt together often enough you need to make a skunk pot and so like every year you put into the pot and whoever's dog gets sprayed first or whoever's dog is the only one that doesn't get sprayed gets oh, the pot that's actually a fun idea right? right then at least like yeah i got sprayed at least i get the 110 bucks <laughs> yeah. or whatever you know yeah. like yeah try to try to make it a positive <laughs> and a free concoction basket i feel like later in the year they they're not out as much, you know, sure, it was no, because no. it was September. Yeah. And yep. I've never, like, I probably went over a decade since I had a dog get skunked. Like, I can remember those, as a kid. One those my are my only dogs, skunk but, experiences are those two yeah. dogs. I, really? I've never run across. I don't, you know, like, I, I also feel like, so my dogs, you know, growing up out here, we've got barn cats and everything, and they learn to, to give the cats a wide berth because, you know, if they go nosing up to the cat, the cat's going to kick their butt. Sure. And, you know. Rory grow, grew up chasing squirrels in the backyard. So it's like, oh, well, if this thing's going to run for me, I'm going to chase it. Right. So, you know, I, th- I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, how the dogs are raised and brought up, like what they're around when they're younger and what sure. they've learned to, like, you know, give some distance to. Because that first hunt when she got sprayed, we had Sam on the ground with her, and he was right next to her before she went into that culvert, and he never paid any attention to it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. I hope it never happens to my dog. I hope so for your sake. It's <laughs> terrible. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. It sounds miserable, man. So um, let's see. So you were out west last week. And what, what do you guys got planned for the rest of the season? Well, we've got, well, other than just, you know, the regular hunting we're going to do around here, you know, we're going to do some pheasant trips out west. Probably some, well, not probably, definitely some grouse hunting. Yep. But uh, we've got another trip back to Montana planned for November. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. And when you were out there last year, you were telling me you saw all kinds of muleys and all kinds of cool stuff while you were out there. Oh, yeah. They were they were thick. We saw some, a couple of really nice bucks. Nice. Yeah. It was, it was a good time. You know, it was the week we went out last year, we went out during Thanksgiving, which is pretty non-typical for us. You, typically, we go out during deer season here. Yep. But last year, we went out a little later, and uh, it was surprisingly nice. Like, we didn't have, there was a dusting of snow when we got out there, and it snowed a little bit on the way home but other than that we had really good weather you know temps down in the 20s at night but you know hovering right around that high 40s low 50s mark during the day yep but i think there was only one spot we walked where we didn't move birds mm-hmm. oh awesome fun yeah and like oh. 
Montana has that BMA program, the block management access, where it, it is private ground and these farmers and ranchers get together and they pick these sections and it's typically like stuff they can't farm okay. or it'll be pasture ground, really hilly shit kind of stuff. And uh, they'll open that up to public hunting. Nice. So you don't, you don't have to walk the BML or the BLM land. You know, sure. this is actual private land that has, it'll have wheat, it'll have. It's bordering uh, up to food and all yeah. kinds of cover. Yep. And, yep. So the, that state is covered in areas like that. And then they also have their upland management program areas where it's it's private land, but people, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of grass. Yep. It's, you know, designed for bird hunting. Sure. And that's closed to big game hunters. It's only open for bird hunting. Oh, no kidding. Yep. Oh. And those are, you know, all over the area that we were into. Nice. The, uh, where'd you guys stay out there? Did you camp or find motels? So or? we stayed in a hotel last year, which, you know, I don't really care for when you're traveling with dogs. Sure. Um, some places are cool, you know, they'll let you bring dogs in. I don't like, you know, we usually bring Mitch's dog in because she's a house dog anyways. Sure. And my dogs, they've all been in the house, you know, off and on, but I don't like to bring them all in. Sure. Because it just it's gets to be too much. But one dog's not bad. But I don't really like staying in hotels because, you know, depending on where you're at in the hotel, you don't know where your truck's at. You know, right. and I like to keep an eye on my dogs. Absolutely. So typically, you know, I like to rent a house or stay with somebody. Yeah. Plus, if your dog finds a skunk, <laughs> yeah. you can't drag that in the hotel. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, we've had pretty good success like Airbnb or just looking online yep. for hunting specific yep. houses. Yep. I'd say... North and South Dakota both have a lot of options for that. Yeah, you want to get in early, obviously. But yeah, I've I've looked in Montana and there there's like no VRBOs in in the whole eastern half. Really, yeah. <laughs> nothing for us. Sure. So I've got a I got a buddy that gave me a phone number of a lady that actually leases places out to hunters. Okay. To stay in, so I'm gonna call her this week and get something set up. Nice. If not, we'll just you know tough it out and go back to a hotel. Right. Yeah. You got when you guys took me out to South Dakota pheasant hunting a few years back. We stayed at that one house. Yep. And the garage was all set up with like yep. locker or you know, like little open faced lockers for guns and clothing and that was that worked out so good. And then Don's dog had the shit so bad. Yeah. I don't know I don't wanna know what we would have had to do if they had to stay in a kennel or in a hotel oh, room. Right. Oh so bad. So bad. But nice. So what's your I mean, what's your number you got you got a lot of grouse hunting coming up most likely, right? Yep. What what's your thoughts on how the numbers are looking so far? Well, from what I've been seeing now that season's been open since last weekend, um, been seeing a lot of birds getting shot. Uh, woods are still super thick. Yeah. You know, I haven't been out in the woods running dogs as much as I, I was previous years, but, you know, you get to the point where you go out and everything's green and it really beats on the dogs running them too yep. much that early. So I've, I've been out a couple times. We move decent bird numbers. It sounds like brood hatch and brood success was really good this year. Nice. So it should be a really good year again. Yep. What do you guys shoot? So like grouse hunting, you know, I'm always out there with six or sevens. But when you guys are going like uh, for Sharpies and stuff like that, what what are you guys carrying for loads for those birds? Last year I shot I shot set boss sevens all season last year, and they were a little light later in the year. I didn't, I didn't feel like I was getting what I needed out of them. So this year I switched down to some sixes, and that's what I shot out in North Dakota this last week. Okay. And I freaking loved it. Nice. I also changed up chokes a little bit. I went a little tighter. You know, you get out in the open like that, and your shots are typically a little farther. Sure. So. Mitch, uh, so Joe, you shoot like an over-under exclusively. Yep, wow. I've been shooting. I've got a Beretta over-under that I've been shooting 
religiously for the last three or four years. And so what are some of your reasons for going that versus having that third shell, you know, with the semi-auto? Well, so my gun's like six pounds. Nice. So I I can, I can carry that thing all day long and it, it doesn't get uncomfortable if we're, if we're doing a lot of hiking, especially, you know, hunting with pointing dogs now, you know, I'm not, I'm not shooting wild flush birds or anything, so I don't need the gun closed up and ready to go at all times. Yep. Like with a semi, semi-auto or a pump. Um, so, you know, when I'm walking, I can break it open, open, put it over my shoulder, and it's just nice and comfortable to carry. Sure. Whereas, like, if, like, I used to carry, like, an auto loader and everything, you know, eight and a half, nine pounds, <laughs> you're going, you know, 20 miles, miles, 20, 30 miles a day walking through the shit, and it's just not as pleasing. Put, you it, know, put it this way. I went out to Montana with a Nova because that's my gun. Sure. Guys guys like to give me a hard time, but I shoot really well with a Nova. I like the gun. Yep. Minnesota swamps when you're on an 80 acre, 120, 160, whatever it is, it's not that big of a deal to carry a Nova, a 12 gauge around that. Sure. For your walk, you know, hour and a half, two hours, whatever it takes you. I completely underestimated montana (laughs) you know what what you're hunting is easily a section if not more yeah oh and you're out there for as long as you're out there and by the end of it i was so sick of that nova i went out and bought my first over under this this off season oh that's funny man because i'm like i'm not doing this again you know like it's not that i can't do it it's just like by the end of it you're carrying a a log log. you know i mean like i carried a a 12 gauge side by side for a few seasons and yeah i mean it wasn't light you know, sure. it, it did the trick. It shot really well, and I shot I shot it really well. But you know, and then I got my over under, and I started shooting that, and I was really happy with how I shot it and how it fit and how it it felt. You know, and that's all I carry now. Yeah. I, I care. I took my Benelli out yesterday for ducks for the I, first time. I picked that gun up in like three years. Yeah. And when you're shooting ten to two for waterfall, you know it's so much easier yeah, if you're to just shoot, standing shoot there. a twelve gauge, right? Yeah, sure. But when you're upland hunting. It's kind of scattered where they're going to get up, how you got to position your feet. It's yeah. really nice to have a light, shorter gun to swing on the birds and, right. and get your bead right. It it just feels way better once you get used to it. Especially those, I suppose, those covey-style birds that just yeah go every direction. You know, and yep. you're keying, trying to key in on one single bird on that covey rise. You take your first shot and you drop that bird. Oh, shit, now you got to pick one with your eyes and quick snap over to that bird. It's a little harder with a heavier gun. Sure. Absolutely. What what gun did you get then, Mitch? I bought the Beretta Silver Pigeon. It's a, it's a good it? starter over under. Yep. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy with it. I shot um, some sporting clays here this summer to get some rounds through yep. it. It was a ton of fun. Nice. A ton of fun. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Joel, you always have two different chokes in, right? You'll have like a modified in the full or a- yeah. So in the in the woods, I'll you know it's modified and improved cylinder, and then once we get out, you know, pheasant season and out west, it'll be modified in full. Okay. You know, if I had if I had some extra chokes, I'd probably put a full in the full for sure. out west. Sure. Uh, and- so you were talking. Uh, you guys were going over your chokes this morning before we headed out. It's a small pond, Mitch. I think you said you had a full choke in. It's probably stock with what the Beretta came sure. in, to be yeah, honest with you. And, and, and Joe, you had mentioned, oh, you'll need to shoot different ammo then. So, like. Well, so this is the first hunt that Mitch has taken his new 20 gauge on. Okay. And he had a full and a modified in. Yep. And I had told him, you know, if you want, you can borrow some of my boss stuff because you can shoot that through a factory full. 
Well, so he's like, well, I've got steel. And I'm like, well, if you've got a full and you can't shoot steel through that full choke. Mm-hmm. If it's the old style steel. The old style Yep. Steel. So if you're shooting like heavy shot or bismuth or, you know, the boss ammo, you can shoot that through full choke because it, it's not steel. It's but like just some general just regular, brand. Right. You yep. can't shoot through a full choke. I would not steel. recommend it. Nobody, nobody should. And that goes it. for your 12 gauge or anything too. Yep. You, you know, know if I, you, I'm certain I've done that over the years. Oh, I, I have done it too. I've got a gun in the in the safe there that uh, has a choke that's fused to the barrel that's, because of it. No, and kidding. this is just for the stock ch- choke. Yep. So, you yeah. know, if you buy like um, Pattern Master, right? Or, or Those are designed for okay for waterfall hunting yeah, and but if steel it to go say through steel it. Steel on it. Yeah. Then it's and not. a lot of the full chokes even on them. Yeah. If you, you look, pull them out of your gun, steel not okay. Yep. Okay. They'll say no steel or something on it. Wow. Yep. Okay. Yep. I'm sure I've just gotten lucky over the years, and yeah. I mean, like my 870. Uh, whatever choke I had with, you know, came with three chokes. Yeah. I'm certain I threw steel through that thing, you know. I don't think it's really a risk of, like, coming back or, like, hurting you or anything. I think it's more what Joe said. It'll fuse your choke right to yeah. the barrel. Okay. Oh, yep. Because that, that steel's, a, that steel's sure. a lot harder, whereas, like, bismuth and heavy shot and Can boss, bomb. it's all softer. Sure. Uh, and so you've been shooting this boss ammo for a while. I what? shot it all last season. And shooting it this season, where, I bought my third case on Friday. It'll show up tomorrow. Where 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 do you get it? You just order. You got to go to Boss Shot Shell on on online. Okay, get it from there. They don't have a they don't have like a a store that you can buy it in. Okay, you're welcome for the shout out, boss. Yeah, way to go, boss. <laughs> yeah, free advertising. Feel free to sponsor this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get a zero percent discount if you mention Border Outdoors. <laughs> well, you know they don't they don't do a whole lot of discounts because the. You know, you look at like heavy shot, heavy metal. Those are fifty four ninety nine a case or right. a box, and these guys are right around thirty thirty two. And right. then they only come in a box of twenty, which you know, big deal. Sure, you're down five shells, whatever. But I've really been impressed with how it shoots. Sure, but they're shipping direct. There's no middle shipping. Man, so nope, shipping straight down. direct. Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah. How fast can you get? Like, have you had a problem with them not having stuff in stock? So. You know, last year when, or the last year and a half or so, when everybody's been down, they were still able to get good-sized runs going. And if you follow them on Facebook or online or you're on their email list, they, during that time, you know, they were, they were sending out their schedules for, like, what they were making that week. Oh. So you could go on, and as soon as they opened it up online, you could go in and get what you wanted, or you could pre-order, like, in the spring. So this last year, I pre-ordered in, like, March. I pre-ordered a case of sixes, and then I ran out of sevens that I had bought last year when I was out in North Dakota this year. So I ordered a case on Friday, and it'll be here tomorrow. Oh, awesome! So, so they've got that, them in stock. They've got yeah. them right now. Yep. God, I might have to try that. And I might just have shipping to try was that. free on my case because I'm so sick of going to a fleet farmer runnings. They don't have the shot I'm looking for. They've only got three and a half, or they've got you know, yeah, or they've got fours. Yeah, you know, I don't, I'm not going to use fours on grouse. Why not? That'll work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just takes one BB to kill it. Right. <laughs> I think they've got a group of people that are on like a special MVP list or something that get a text message when it comes in on Tuesday night because by Wednesday morning it's yeah. just raided. It's like, oh, yeah. how are you guys here right? this fast? Do you show up every day looking for it? Right? <laughs> it's, it's insanity. Yeah. I Yeah, I just don't quite understand it. The cost of ammo and just trying to find what you want and I don't know, man. The idea of spending 65 bucks for a box of heavy metal and, oh, shoot, I wanted twos and they only got fours. Like, now I'm spending 65 bucks for something I didn't even really want. Yeah, right. You know, but it is what it is. I guess plan ahead. 
order up on boss yeah so awesome well mitch you got a new addition to your family this year right i do so how's that been working how how old's the little guy little guy's seven and a half months now congrats yeah thank you very much has uh how, how's how's that gonna factor into your fall here how often <laughs> do you watch the little guy and you know all that good stuff so i have them every friday uh i work from home on yep. fridays and I make sure I put in my time throughout the week. Oh, yeah. We just had softball season with the girls, and my wife coaches our oldest girls. So I've had the little guy at every practice and every game. Nice. Um, but she's great. You know, my wife understands that this is my passion, and I'm not doing a whole lot else the rest of the year. Sure. You yep. know, I might get out on the golf course once or twice, but it's nothing like an avid hobby. Right. So she's been really great working with me, like, and, you know, um, I set the expectation early, too. Right? <laughs> but, that helps. That helps. So, no, yeah, it, it'll factor in a little bit. Sure. Obviously, I probably won't be able to go every every day of the weekend anymore and yep. be, be gone quite as much. But sure. But uh, I'll just make sure to put in my time when I'm around yeah. and it'll be good. Yeah, absolutely. You know how it is. Oh, I know exactly how it is. Yeah. Like, uh, so, like, this weekend, I got to, uh, today's Sunday, I got to go bow hunting last night and duck hunting this morning and my wife's actually in maine on vacation um wife's on vacation in maine so it's like how did i get to go hunting this weekend well my sister was gracious enough to say basically volunteer to watch my kids for a night and uh it's it's a fine line at the age you're at there's so much fun and like my wife's gone so part of me wanted to be like no i'm just gonna watch them i'm super dad all weekend you know but then the other part of me is like actually technically this will be the most hunting I've done so far this season. So yeah, you can watch my kiddos. Right. And uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's all a balancing act. Got, stayed up late last night prepping. Early this morning, I'll pick up the kids today. We're gonna go set in our deer rifles this afternoon. Awesome. Uh, yeah, they're probably gonna be wearing their Border Outdoors T-shirts we had made up for them and stuff like that. And you were talking today about, I mean, how fun it's gonna be when they're old enough for like youth duck hunting season and taking them out in the blind and um. You said when you were younger for duck opener, would you guys camp out? Uh, so most of the camping we did was when I was a little older. Um, but I think it would be a ton of fun to bring some kids out and find some public ground. Like when we were 17, 18 years old, 19, whatever, college, uh, we would just set up in the parking lot of a public spot that we found some yeah. ducks on and have a little campfire. And oh. I think kids would love it, you know, listen to the ducks quack out on the pond and yes. get all excited for the next day. And yep. yeah, even at seven and a half months old, I'm already thinking about What's all that, that be stuff, like? you know, because I was fortunate enough to have a dad and his friends that sat behind my shoulder while I shot, you know, instead of taking shots of their own and made, yes. made sure I was figuring things out. Yep. And uh, yeah, I just, I'm looking forward to passing that along now that I'm a little older and I've traveled and done as much as I have. You know? Right, right. You're going to make your kids become a duck and goose guide so you can get hooked up? No. <laughs> you know, if they want to, I'll, I'll probably preface it with a little more information than I had when I was getting into it. Yeah. You know, I don't regret it at all, but I definitely, towards the end, was getting, getting a little worn down. I got a lot of respect for the guys that do it yeah. all the time. And, Yep. Put in the time and effort, like Joe said, to bring other people out. You know, yeah, you're getting compensated for it, but it's because you're putting so much time and money into it. You right. know, nothing, no hunting is cheap anymore. Right. No, no. Whatever your hobby is, you're putting thousands of bucks into it. So, yep. But 
yeah, no, if he wants to, I'd, I'd, I would encourage him to go have that experience. You sure. Know? Yep. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. I, I, my, my little guy is just a little goon, so I have no idea what he's going to be into. He's Claire likes hunting. Oh, I'll, I'll say this about Ethan. He, he's got this thing down pat where he grabs one of those long shaft lighters, you know, and he just runs around the house yelling, boom, boom, dead deer. So I think he's going to be into it. Yeah. I, I really don't push it too hard on them. They just watch me watch videos and stuff like that. So we'll see if they, as long as he doesn't want to play, like, I just don't want my kids to play basketball because I hate basketball. <laughs> That's the only thing I don't want my kids to do. Everything else, if they decide to play soccer or anything, okay, hockey, yeah. whatever. Just don't be basketball players. We had the discussion yesterday about hockey players and how much it takes up out of your hunting season because Shannon and them had to leave by 1030 yesterday. They had hockey practice. If my kids join hockey, I'm I'm cooked. I won't be able to afford to hunt, and I won't have the time. My parents wouldn't let me play hockey. Good for them. I got got to play (laughs) football and baseball. You know? I think as a dad, when you're consistently doing something and showing interest in it, and you're willing to take your kids like you are. I mean, yeah. you know, even as young as your kids are, I'm impressed by how much you have them out in the blind and stuff. Yep. They'll remember that, you know, when they get I, older and it'll I kind of so. be like a special thing to them. So I think right. that's the best way to pass it along is like you said, not push it. Not like we're going to go do this. You have to right. sit here quiet the whole time. Whatever. Make it fun for them. Yep. Get them out. Yeah, yeah, they'll and be it, into it. It might benefit you too a little bit. You know, you can use that as leverage you against the hunting. wife. Yes. Well, Claire really wants me to take her hunting this weekend, <laughs> so I'm gonna have to go all weekend. I'm telling you, when that kid's twelve, oh, I, she's gonna want to go grouse hunting every weekend. I'm waiting. Yes. I'm waiting for my kids to get to that point. I've got three girls. Yes. You know, and what farmer can say no to a little blonde hair, blue eyed girl? Yeah, <laughs> Kennedy, you're not gonna you're not gonna use those little blue eyes to talk you into a hunting trip, are you? Give us yes. an answer. You are? Oh, man. Hey, Kennedy, hop on the mic for a second. So, you are the oldest of three girls, right? Yes. Okay. Are you like your dad's best little buddy? Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. What do you do that, that makes your dad annoyed sometimes? Um, he doesn't like it when I don't clean kennels. <laughs> well, just to backtrack, because I, I sympathize with you, Kennedy. How many kennels are there to clean at your dad's house? There are four. Yeah. Most of the time, three. Okay. And how often are you supposed to clean them? We're supposed to clean them every night. Oh, my gosh. That's a chore, man. That's a chore. Mm-hmm. What, what Does your dad give you anything special for this chore? Well, he used to give me a quarter of kennel, but now he doesn't give me any. <laughs> That's only because you don't do it very much. <laughs> nice. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. So no, we we've got a pretty decent setup for cleaning. You know, we shovel the shit out that goes out into the pasture, and then I've got a, a hose and we wissy wash the whole kennel down. It's got a chlorine based solvent in it, and it takes away all the smell and everything. Nice. Nice. That was quite the project. You put that kennel on what two years ago or three now? Uh, I think it was two years ago. We started started in, we poured concrete in July, and I think I let that set for about a month or so before I actually started framing everything up. Okay. Speaking yeah. of which, I, I probably should have mentioned earlier. We're just like in in a little shed off your kennels right now, making this podcast. Yeah. So this garage is well, the outside shell is thirty six by thirty six, and there's a center wall going down it, and we're in the side without the dog, so it's yeah. a little quieter. And so if you're hearing donkeys 
spray in the background or hearing flies buzz the mics is because we're in we're in the thick of it here. So oh yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah. How, and how long have you been living out here? We Kennedy and I were just talking about that last night on the way home. We this will be our sixth year. Nice. Has it been like you know you've got what a little over five acres or something like we've that? Got fifteen here. Oh, it's fifteen. Yeah. Oh shoot, I was thinking five to seven oh, for some reason. We've got fifteen. Um, about four of it's in swamp and. Yep. We got the pond down there and then there's that tree line that I deer hunt out of and then we've got that back piece. Sure. That I just kinda leave for wildlife or whatever. And the hayfield's about four acres and the rest is all yard and pasture. Okay. How's uh everybody dreams of a little more property, a little more land. Is it is it worth it or is it just turned into more work than you thought? <laughs> you know, it is a lot of work. Yep. Um, especially with kids. You know, you're trying to get stuff done and they want to play. Right. And you got to explain to them, no, this needs to get done today. Otherwise, I'm not going to get to it for another month and right. then it's going to look really bad. You know, our yard is, you know, two to three acres maybe. So it's a lot of grass to mow. Sure. Um, you got to stay on top of the weeds and everything. The wife has her animals. She's got donkeys and sheep and goats. So, yep. It you know, it's chores morning and night. It's dog chores. It's lawn care. And that's not even the stuff that goes on in the house. Right. <laughs> you know, but no, I, I wouldn't change it. We, I grew up in town, you know, my parents had like a quarter acre lot and it was fine. I had one dog growing up, um, you know, and then Bridget and I moved in together it was like 22 or so. We lived in a farmhouse together, and then we got kicked out of the farmhouse because they were selling it to somebody. We went and lived with her one brother for a couple months while we were looking for a new house. Bought a house in Buffalo, and my yard went even smaller. Yep. You know, I was my garage was 10 feet from my neighbor's garage. Uh, we had we started with one dog there, and then we ended up with two, and then we found this place. On a whim, my brother-in-law actually found it for us. He had come out to buy some stuff from the lady that was selling it. They were going through a divorce. And uh, he's like, hey, she's going to sell her house. You should come out and look at it. You know, it's she's got land. It's got a house. It's got a barn. It's got a couple garages on it. It's a really nice setup. So we came out, you know, walked the property. She took us all the way down to the pond, and we were flushing pheasants in March, walking down there. And there was a couple. He was deer. sold. Yeah, yeah, there was a couple deer bedded on the backside of the pond that were just laying there watching us. And I, I turned to Bridget. I'm like, "Yeah, this is it." Yeah. So you know, we we talked it over and talked to the people about pricing and everything. And they were it was a husband and wife that you know their youngest kid had just turned 18, and he decided he wanted out of the marriage, and so. You know, we sat down with her at the table and started talking numbers, and she told us what they still owed on the place, and they didn't want to use a realtor or anything. They didn't want a house inspection, which, oh. you know, the house the house is old. Sure. You right. know, it, it's not a mansion or anything like that. It's it's about the same size as our split level was in town, um, but there's the basement is only like six and a half feet tall, so you can't use the basement or anything. Yep. But we started crunching numbers and talking numbers over with them, and we made an offer, and they took it. Awesome. So awesome. we sold our place in town, made some good money off of that, which made it possible to put down a good down payment on this one. Yep. Um, yeah, I wouldn't change it. No. I've got, you know, the road that we live on, there's only two other houses on. I wouldn't change it either because it gives me a sweet spot to shoot three wood ducks every <laughs> opening weekend. <laughs> not today. <laughs> well, not today, but it. I wasn't out here. I should have been out here yesterday, opening morning. That's the magic. Yeah. So. I mean, we do miss out on some stuff for the kids. You know, there's not kids next door right. living that they can go play with. And, right. But, you know, her mom lives in town or on the edge of town. My parents still live in town where I grew up. So for like Halloween and stuff, we go there. Sure. Absolutely. Take them down, down the old neighborhood that I used to trick or treat at. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Yep. But yeah, I think I think the kids like it. Do you like it here yet? Yes. What's your favorite thing about living out here in the country? Um, we don't always get complaints from our neighbors that we're being too loud. <laughs> I suppose uh, four dog kennels on the side of your garage back in town wouldn't have been as pleasurable to the neighbors. No. <laughs> I don't think mom would let me have four dogs in town either. Mitch, did you grow up in town as a kid? Or I did. Okay. Yep. I grew up in a neighborhood similar to the one that Joe grew up in, not the same neighborhood, but same, okay. same town. Same size, yeah. same kind of yeah. house separation so, and all that. Joey, yes. Joey and I have been hunting together since the flag football days, you know. Oh, yeah. Waterfall hunts. That's. I mean, I think both of us could probably say that's where our hunting started. Yeah, I'm like, sure. Like, I, I've said it before, like, my dad wasn't a big bird, bird hunter. You know, we deer hunted. Deer yep. camp was religion for me growing yeah. up, you know, when, when I was younger before I could carry a gun, you know, I went up to deer camp. A deer camp was at my aunt and uncle's place up north. Uh, it'd be west of Mora, north of Malacca. And, you know, it was just a little house on a big ranch. And there was a bunch of people. You know, we'd go up Friday night and I'd go sit with him Saturday morning, you know, until he got sick of me. Then he'd take me back to the house and he'd <laughs> go back out. And, but, you know, the house was always full of people, full of food, good times. And, you know, he didn't, he took me duck hunting on like youth day and stuff. And we did some early season goose at my grandparents, but he wasn't really into the whole bird hunting thing. He took me out pheasant hunting to South Dakota. That first trip I told, told you guys about on my, on the first time I was on this podcast. And, uh, he did some game farm stuff with me. They were nice enough to let me get a dog, you know, and before I could drive, he would take me hunting. Yep. Cause it's what I wanted to do. Not necessarily. I don't know. It was something that he really enjoyed sure. that much. I think he liked, you know, just seeing me be happy. But, yep. you know, now, you know, it's kind of come full circle. I I took him to Wyoming antelope hunting. Yeah. Trying to get him out, trying to get him to gear more towards bird hunting because that's what I like to do now. Yep. You know, I'll, I'll still deer hunt and that kind of thing. But it's back burner compared to your, yeah, your birds. Yeah. Like he and wants dogs. I mean, it's, yeah. Like, you know, I'm, I'm 100% dedicated to what I'm doing now. You know, my Bridget will yell at me and the kids will yell at me. You spend more time with your dogs than you do with us. Like, yeah, it's true. But, you know, that's that's where I'm at right now. And that's sure. what my main focus is. You know, I I get a lot of flack from the wife, you know. Not, you know, the dogs always come first. And let's, never hey, let's first. defend the wives here. Maybe rightfully so. Oh, yeah. She made us breakfast this morning. It, it's a fine line. Like what kind of when you, when you are around, when, when you are Mr. Dad and husband. Would you be the same quality if you weren't living your passion? So there's something to be no, said for that at some, like, at some point. I, I joke every year with Bridget about it. And like, you know, we come in after spring trial season now and we get into the dog days of summer and she's just like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I just got seasonal depression. You yeah. Know? Anytime yep. it's not hunting season, I'm depressed. <laughs> oh, seriously. The day that I don't hunt most of December for anything, right? Like late December, it's Christmas, it's all that. But January 1st, when I can't go and hunt any big game or any of the stuff I'm really passionate about, I get sad. And then again, when, when small game closes February 28th or whatever, I'm just like depressed. I'm like, I can't even go shoot a squirrel if I want you're to. Like, sit, and, sit and think about the next nine months of yes. what you're going to do. You can only shoot your bow so much. You so know? much. Exactly. Mitch, did you ever hunt big game growing up? I did. I deer hunted quite a bit when I was growing up. My dad was an avid outdoorsman, so I was fortunate he... We had pointers. We ran. We did a lot of pheasant hunting when I was a kid. That's, okay. that's where I found my love for pheasant hunting was with my dad. Yep. And uh, he waterfall hunted. My 
like I said, my grandfather has farmed in the Wright County area. I mean, since he was a boy. And so they've, we've always had family land and a lot nice. of it has swamps on it and stuff like that. So we were fortunate enough to have somewhere to duck hunt that wasn't 800 tr- <laughs> trucks in a parking oh, lot, yeah. you know? Yep. And hey, good for those people that make it work. There's this place for that too. But yep. I was just fortunate in that way that I was exposed to a lot of things. And uh, so he'd take me up to Rozo when I was 12, just as like a trip, you know, to, to make make it a more of an event for deer opener yeah you know because we could always hunt at grandpa's but it was it was fun to go somewhere and do something so yeah i just felt fortunate that he would he exposed me to a lot of different things i've only ever shot two deer they were both on the same day no way and uh one of them was a nice nine point buck and i hit it right in the spine so it was pretty early in the morning and the muzzle blast went off and then it was just dead quiet and i didn't know if i hit it or if it took off so couple minutes later a fawn came along and i shot that too um but i can honestly say that after i shot those deer i was kind of like okay i've deer hunted sure yeah you know yep just didn't get my wheels turning as much as birds did yeah absolutely yep i go back like i think deer gets me the most fired up but but i mean like waterfall and uplands not far behind i just Mm -hmm. i know that to dive deeper like I, I've been more of an upland guy ever since I got the lab, yeah. and I was thinking I'd become, I'd, I'd get back to more duck hunting. But I just really enjoy dry ground hunting with him. So, and he loves it as a dog. Like the whole thing is fun for him. Yeah. But the the big game thing is just so hard for me to give up. You know. Uh, there's there's nothing like a a four legged animal coming within thirty yards of you. Your your heart's beating so fast. You're trying not to make any mistakes, and one little mistake messes the whole thing up, right? Right, absolutely. So there is there is something about it that is really special. Um, For sure. And, yeah, I mean, especially if you have places that you love to go that mean something to you. Yep. I think it just makes deer hunting all the better. Yeah, yeah absolutely. This Yesterday was opener. It was actually the first opener since I've been 12 that I didn't duck hunt. Like the very first Saturday opener that I didn't duck hunt, which – Okay, uh, get, um, I guess that's out of the way. Like, I got married on Duck Opener back in 2013. What an idiot! I know what an idiot, right? But uh, the white, my wife's family history, like her grandparents and her parents both got married on that day, and um, maybe even more people. I don't quite remember. So it was September 21st was a super special day. We got to get married on the 21st this year. It's a Saturday, perfect day for a wedding. I'm like, okay, well, I got duck hunt, and uh, so I thought if I got married on duck opener and still hunted i'll never miss an opener right unless i die that day but uh just couldn't i couldn't wake up the two and a half year old early enough to put him in a kayak and go out, <laughs> go out duck hunting yesterday morning but yeah that's life yeah mm-hmm. so hey who just joined us we got another rug rat over here you want to talk no You're too shy kennedy huh you want to say hi that's no. okay okay what's her name kennedy Kennedy, who's sitting next to me now? My sister, Charlie. What's Charlie like? Do you like Charlie? Yes. <laughs> is Charlie, how is she compared to you? Is she uh, adventurous? Is she shy? Shy. Shy? Yeah. You'll get that a lot. She can't, out, not all of you guys can be like your dad, so outgoing and, you know, chatty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Joe, you got blessed with three young girls. Yep. 
which is exactly what you would have wanted. Oh, exactly. Yep. So, um, how's how's your wife with you know you being Mister Dog and Hunt all the time? Is she trying to raise little princesses and you're trying to raise little tomboys, or how's that balance been for you? Well, so Bridget grew up on a farm. Um, her family's always had a, a farm of some sort. You know, she they had two different places when she was growing up, and she grew up doing chores and mm-hmm. all that. And our kids are kind of the same. Um, you know, you've got you got Kennedy. She's pretty outgoing, pretty bold. Not not a whole lot scares her except maybe the dark. Nice. Um, nice. Charlie's a little more reserved. Yep. Um, but she's she can be pretty goofy once you get to know her and <laughs> and she gets more comfortable. And then our youngest one, Maddie. She's, I'm scared. <laughs> I think she's going to be harder than Kennedy. Why is it always the youngest oh, one? Always, oh. right? There's, right? There's not, you know, strangers scare her, but that's about it. That's about you know, it. She'll, she feeds the dogs. She'll clean kennels. She takes dogs by the collar and just drags them around. You know, not, not much gets her down. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, no, um, you know, I, Bridget will give me lots of flack, you know, once hunting season starts coming around, you know, oh, yeah. and I start getting more focused on what's coming up and, you know, she's just like, well, you care more about hunting than anything else. And I'm like, yeah, I do. You know, <laughs> oh, that, 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 that might be the truth, but you know what? I'm still here. <laughs> you know, when I am around, let's make it enjoyable. But, you know, as much as, as much shit as she gives me, you know, she still packs us stuff for trips. Like she'll do all my grocery shopping for me. She'll right. just be like, well, get me a list and That's let amazing. me know what you want. And she'll, she'll make us food. Yeah, you know, we, we came up from the pond today, and and she made us. Uh, you guys made us breakfast, and you know, coffee was waiting, and all kinds of good know, stuff. Yeah, so. the trip we just went on, she sent us. Uh, what did you guys make? You made us brownies. Mom did my grocery shopping, made us brownies. Oh, uh, I didn't take any muffins on this trip. Yeah, she makes so she's. Ooh. I got her a couple milking goats. Her her lifelong dream has always been to have some milking goats, and she wants to make cheese and soap and all that. <laughs> so I got her. I got her a couple goats this summer. Good and for her. She's been making cheese ever since. No and kidding. It's actually really good. That's awesome. Yeah. We'll yeah. have to have her on for for talking cheese making talk. A little homesteading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I try to make yeah. butter, but no, Aww. she doesn't have enough butter fat in her milk, so the the butter was kind of a loss. But sure, you but know. No. Go ahead. Oh, I was I was just gonna say, yeah. I mean, for as much as much shit as I catch from her, she's still really supportive. That's awesome. Yeah. Good good for you, Bridget, if you're listening out there. She won't <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, I think every good wife realizes really quickly that if you make it too easy on us, we're just going to do it more. Yeah. Right. Uh, but also, also, if you don't support it in some way, it's just going to cause a whole lot of problems. Yeah, well, right? it's, it's like you said before, like, you know, I... I didn't hold back in the early parts of dating or anything. I told her like what I do and she got, she got a good view of it, of everything. Cause back then I was guiding, you know, and it was even more, I was gone even more than I am now. Right. You know, even with the kids now and everything, I try to stick around. Like I never used to be home for Halloween. I was always gone. Right. Whether I was bow hunting or guiding or whatever. And now like the last few years, I've made it a point to make sure I'm home for Halloween. That's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. These little guys will only be little guys for so long. Oh Yeah. It's so hard to see the long term, you know what I mean? So yeah. uh, I have a hard time. I struggle with it. My, my wife gives me pushback, which she should in a lot of cases. And, uh, you know, maybe I didn't set the bar high enough, but maybe it didn't need to be. You know it's, what I mean? It's so, never too late. It's never too, <laughs> it's never too late. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Before we wrap this up here quick, um, what's, what's, a, what's a quick piece of advice you have for anybody going into the rest of the hunting season? We're early yet, so. Yeah, we are early. We're only, you know, second weekend. Right. Um, if you 
if you're on the fence, you know, of whether or not you should take that trip, just take it. Nice. You, you never get those days back. Um, do do whatever you can to make it happen. Like, I mean, like I said, I'm not I'm not really field trialing this fall because I don't have the extra cash for it. Field trial weekend for me is, you know, no less than 500 bucks. Yep. So I'm just going to take the fall off of trialing and I'm going to focus on hunting because I'm a hunter first and foremost. Yeah. So, you know, whether you're on the fence of, you know, should I make that trip? Should I buy that gun? I always go inside a yes. <laughs> nice. I like that advice. The wives might not, but I like it. Mitch, how about you? What What are you thinking? I think right along those same lines, I would just say cover ground. You know, I think my favorite thing about living in Minnesota in the Midwest is you can go pretty much any direction, northwest, east, south, and find an area that you can hunt something. Um, and I, I think the greatest experiences I've had over time are just like going down to Winona and trying to hunt the Mississippi River or running up towards Roseau and chasing grouse or, or finding a new duck slough that's in a completely different area of the state. And um, you always run into something interesting. There's always a memory to be made. You know, one of my favorite times, we used to go up to Roseau. A few years we did it where we'd go camp up there and hunt some of those public sloughs. And uh, there was a blizzard. We couldn't make it. The roads were so bad. So we had to stop short and we hunted Thief Lake. And uh, ended up just one of the best hunts of my life. You know, the lake was freezing up. All the birds were congregating together. And there was only so much water for them to use. And we shot snows. We shot five, six different species of ducks, Canada's. You know, and it was all just because we decided that we were going to cover some ground and go somewhere. And when the first plan didn't work out, we chose something different and just wung it and went with it. So learn to adapt. Yeah. Yeah, You know, not, not everything goes according to plan. Just be ready to make adjustments absolutely it's all part of the adventure right right yeah that's all i like that very good tips well let's wrap it up there guys that was a great job fun episode uh keep listening everybody let us know what you think of the episode follow us on spotify and all that good stuff and until next time with border outdoors i'm seth i'm mitch i'm joe i'm kennedy bye bye thanks for listening to the border outdoors podcast follow us on instagram Be sure to join, follow, and share the Border Outdoors Facebook community page. Please leave us a five-star rating on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast hosting site. Be sure to tune in next week to see what the guys are talking about. Come.